Romans 12, we're in 3 through 8. Last week we did 1 through 2, so why don't you read it with me. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So as we go through this, I want to give you one takeaway for today that'll be simple. And last week you were a sponge. Okay, this week you're a different thing, all right? So just track with me, all right? Here's the sentence for us today is that you are not a bucket, you're a pipe. And it's the, what God wants to do in you, he wants to do through you. This is so super important. You are not a bucket, you're a pipe. What God wants to do in you, he wants to do through you. And I want you to think about it this way, okay? So this, I got a bigger thing. Last week people said they couldn't see it from the back, okay? So I hope this is a little bigger than my little glad things. Uh, this big bucket represents the world around you. This represents you, okay? And so I want you to think about how we live our life where you're present in the world, but the question really is, is there a release point for what God wants to do in your life? Is there a release point for you for something to go out? Some of you, because of the way you live your life, you're going and, and being invested in, and God is investing you at service and investing in you through other people and doing different things, but you're hoarding his investment. You're hoarding it. And just like water, without movement, it's going to grow stagnant. If it doesn't move, it grows stagnant. Water becomes old. It becomes unuseful. It creates mold when it stands still. And so it is with us. Some of you are spiritually dry, not because you are inactive in church, but because you're inactive in faith. You're coming to church. You're going to a lighthouse. You're trying to avoid all the big bad sins, but you're not active in faith. And what God's pouring in you hasn't been poured out. And it's growing stale and stagnant because you're acting like a bucket. You're eating but not exercising. It's coming in but not coming out. And then the world around you, just think about this. God comes and he pours into your life, you know. And here's some Sunday word. And here's an encouragement from a friend. And here's these different things. And you're in the world, but nothing's happening. You're not making a difference at all. There's no release point. God's just pouring in. I've given you a gift, man. You can really teach this. You can really help people. You're a good servant. You're merciful. All these things we just read. I've given you a gift. I've poured this investment into you by my spirit. But because there's no release point, it's not making a difference in the world around you, even though you're in the world. God's pouring in you, and eventually this is just going to grow stagnant and stale. Just like water, it won't be useful very long if it stays still. But this is how God has intended for it to work. You're a pipe. And there's the world, and when God pours into you, it goes automatically into the world around you. This is the most useful way to live your life. And most of us are stuck here when God's pouring in and is growing in our bucket, and we think we are being fed, and we wonder why we're so spiritually dry and numb. It's because being fed isn't enough. God completes what he's doing in you when it goes through you. 
The only time God's work is finished in you is when that very thing finds its way through you, out of you. Just like 2 Corinthians 1 says, with the comfort you have received from God, you comfort others. Why did God comfort you in a season of trouble? Was it just for you? No. So is God's work of comfort done when you feel better about your struggle? No. It's not done. It doesn't complete until it finds its way out. You are a bucket, not a pipe. And God has intended that this whole church be full of pipes and not buckets. This is so super important for us. Many of you even are here. You don't follow Jesus. You don't even know what I'm talking about. And I just want to say welcome. I'm glad that you are here. And the same thing that I'm talking about to the people who would say they're Christ followers applies to you and that God has invested into your life and given you life and breath and all the different things he's given you. But you're not finding purpose, fulfillment and satisfaction because what God gave you was intended to be used for him. The reason why you feel so stuck and frustrated and dry and purposeless is precisely because you were made for God, by God, to do things for God and serve God. And so now he's invested in you. And just like some of us, you are hoarding his investment. And you're not finding the fulfillment you thought you would. And you try to find every other outlet imaginable. You try to work really hard to use your gift and succeed at your job. You try to work. You try to do all these different things that you think you can do as an outlet. But it's not helping you. It's not providing what you need. Because you were made for your outlet to be what the Lord wants to do in your life. To bless him and glorify his name. I'm telling you, this is the reason why you don't feel like your life is counting for much or that it matters. It's because God has invested in you precisely to give back to him. And so I want you to see that in your own life today. This is true for you. This matters for you. So one of the primary ways to offer your life as a living sacrifice is to use your gift. Turn to your neighbor and say, use your gift. Use your gift. Use your gift. We're thinking, how can I offer my life as a living sacrifice? And last week was super intense. Like, I need to be conviction. I need to give something over to the Lord. And I want that to be true today, but even a little bit more practical is to say God has invested something in you that's particular and that's unique. And all you need to do is recognize it and use it. You want to offer your life as a living sacrifice, recognize and use your gift. So, with Romans 12... That's what we're going to look at. I have a little flow of the passage. I think there are three things he says after the living sacrifice part in one and two. You start with humility, you continue in unity, and then you live out your unique individuality. So how does this play itself out? What's the process? What's the flow? Well, I want to be a living sacrifice. I start with humility, verse three. I continue in unity, or we continue in unity, verse four. And then I then, after humility and unity, then I live out my unique individuality. So let's look at that first. Number one, start with humility. You should be writing that down. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Humility is the starting place for any act of service. Humility is the starting place for any healthy relationship. Humility is the starting place to make a sincere effort to offer your life as a living sacrifice. Humility is our starting point. There's two things we're going to see here. The first thing about humility, number one, is don't be intoxicated with yourself. Don't be intoxicated with yourself. Look what he says. Be sober about yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now, what I love about that line is, first of all, it is to cut your legs out a little bit. To say, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But you notice the word ought in the sense where you ought to think of yourself a certain way. You ought to think of yourself as made in God's image. You ought to think of yourself as someone who matters. You ought to think of your life as valuable. You ought to think of your gifting from the Lord as useful. You ought to, ought to. You ought to have a certain view of yourself that is healthy and confident in the Lord. But don't take it any higher than that. Okay? So I'm not telling you to have a low self-esteem. That's not the point. There's this great book. You should write it down and buy it. It's like $2 on Amazon. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's by Tim Keller. It's about 40 pages, so you'll definitely read it. I made a decision when I was doing young adult ministry not to give anybody a book that was longer than 100 pages because I actually wanted them to read it. So I found a ton of really good books that were very short, and people started to read, and it was fantastic. So this was one of those. It was 40 pages. It's this big. It's not intimidating. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. What he says in there is that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. It's not that I say, woe is me, I suck, I'm terrible, look how bad I am, blah, 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 blah. You know what that's called? Pride. Just insecure route. There's a way to be prideful and talk low about yourself. There's a way to be prideful and talk high about yourself. Insecurity is a form of pride. It's an egocentric way to think. So I'm not telling you to think, oh, you're terrible. That's not the point. I'm telling you to have a proper view of yourself based off the word. So first of all, don't be intoxicated with yourself. How do you become intoxicated? By drinking too much. How do you become intoxicated with your own self? By thinking about yourself too much. You can drink too much and you can think too much. You don't think too much. Now, the context is think too much about yourself, okay? You should think. Thinking is a good thing. Don't think too much about yourself. What does the Bible say is the antidote? Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. So what does that mean? That means I begin to think and meditate on and absorb the things of the Spirit. I get in God's Word and I hear what the Spirit has to say to me. I attempt to obey Him in some way and I'm filled with the power of the Spirit to go make disciples. There's ways in which I intentionally put my mind somewhere else on the things of the Word and the Spirit that allow me to be intoxicated by God. Now, this is what some of you are experiencing already these seven days as part of our 21-day fast. I had a brother come up to me in the beginning, just excited about these seven days and how trading out lunch for time with the Word has changed his life. Why? Well, because now he's becoming more intoxicated by God. He's being filled by the Lord. So, don't be intoxicated with yourself. Be intoxicated by the Lord. Take these 21 days, develop good habits, and remember where you're putting your thoughts. What are you thinking about? So, that's number one. Number two, and this is very important, don't despise your assignment. Don't despise your assignment. Look at the verse there. But I think, think of yourself in sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has, say it with me, assigned. That was terrible. That God has assigned. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't despise your assignment. Don't despise your assignment. Don't despise your assignment. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Ephesians 4, 7. By grace was given to each one of us according to the, what is it? Measure of Christ's gift. God has given a measure to each one of us. Now get this. He gave you a measure because if you had the fullness, you wouldn't need anybody else. So what did He do? He gave each of us a measure. 
so that when we come together, we have the fullness. That's the whole point. But some of you despise your assignment because you think your measure is too small. You think it doesn't matter. It's a little teaspoon of vanilla. But if you left it out of the recipe, your cake would not taste as good. It may look small, but it matters. Some of you, and I, was, I had a measuring cup in my car, and I'm just noticing that I forgot to bring it in here, so <laughs> that kind of ruins the moment. But some of you, think, think about it, I have a measuring cup right now, right? And God has given you like one, one ounce, and you look at your ounce, and you pour it in there, and you're like, man, that's, that's nothing. And then you look at somebody else's, you all know the parable about the talents, so one gets five, two, and one. And then they flip it, and the one, the one guy that has one doesn't do anything with it. And I wonder if part of it is because he despised the investment. He despised his assignment. It wasn't important enough. It was just one. And how many of you are not letting God use you because you're looking at the brother that has five quarts and a Billy Graham, and you're just thinking, man, that's what it really means to impact the world. I have a little teaspoon of vanilla. What am I going to do with this little teaspoon of vanilla? I'm just going to throw it away. This is stupid. And what is God trying to teach you right now is that he's apportioned to each one of you a measure of gifting, a measure of faith, a measure when you come together that makes a whole. We are all cooking, all right? We're all cookers. We're all cooking. And when we come together, we bring what we have to give. We put it all together, and in God's eyes, it makes something wonderful, beautiful, delicious, and good to eat. Which is why the Bible says, when there's unity in the body, the world will know that we are his disciples. Because it's good to eat. It tastes good. The experience of being amongst a real group of Christians, a real group of people that are following the Lord, that are bringing their measure, is a good experience for those on the outside. They say, yes, that tastes good. I understand that you are what they call a follower of Jesus. Don't despise your assignment. Now, don't be prideful in His greatness. Some of y'all, by God's good grace in your life, have given you the eggs and you got the milk and you got a lot of the main ingredients and you're just super gifted and talented. And I want to tell you, don't be prideful in the greatness of your measure. Use it. To whom much is given, much is required. And those of you who have a teaspoon of vanilla or one ounce of water or the three quarters of the, the olive oil or whatever, what may seem smaller, don't despise your assignment. Don't think it too low. And those of you who have much, don't think it too high. The point is that we all lack and we need each other. Don't despise your assignment. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The point being, whether you have one little teaspoon or five ounces, whether you got the milk, the eggs, or the vanilla, what you have was something that you received. It was given to you by the Lord, according to, what is 1 Corinthians 12? His will. You did not earn it, work for it, or deserve it. God knew you would be in this church at this time, and that this particular gifting that's in your life would be useful to this body. And that He pointed you... Your assignment in this season of life is this church. That's your assignment. And God might call you to another assignment at some point. And God bless that, whatever it looks like. But right now, your assignment from the Lord is this body. Which means that God knew what you had because he gave it to you. And he brought you here so that you could cook the cake with us. 
And if you don't give us your assignment because you think it's too small, this cake of a church will not taste as good. It won't be as fruitful. It won't be as effective. It won't be as useful. I like really, with the bottom of my heart, really want you to not despise your assignment. The reason some of you don't invest or give is because I can't give a lot. I can't serve a lot. I can't do a lot. I don't have a gift that's blank. And I'm telling you, we need you. I need your vanilla. I need your five ounces of water. We need each other. Don't despise your assignment. Don't think it too small. Don't throw it away. Give it to the Lord. And what does God do with five loaves and two fish? Multiply. You think it's small because it's coming from you. When you give it to the Lord, it becomes big. It's small if you were to use it by yourself. It's big when the Spirit empowers you to use it. You, I'm just telling you, you have to believe this. The reason a lot of churches just function based on a few people's extraordinary gifts is because everybody believes those people are the most necessary. And that's not true. And what I want you to see is each one of us and what God is doing is necessary. Like necessary. Like my heart wants this for us. Don't despise your assignment. It's important. And we need it. Or we just won't be the same without it. Okay. So, we lay our life down as a living sacrifice by pursuing humility. That's where we start. The second part is we continue in unity. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Well, you start with humility because there will be no unity without humility. We cannot continue something we haven't started. You can't continue something you haven't started. If there's no humility, there will be no unity. How can we be unified if we each come into this gathering trying to posture ourselves? How can we be unified if we each come into a gathering trying to compare? How can we be unified if we each come into the gathering thinking really highly about what we bring or really lowly about what we bring? How can we be unified? We cannot. It starts with humility. We said this a lot. This is so important. How we are doing is more important than where we are going. Because how we are doing will determine what we do when we get there and what the trip is along the way. It will determine how effective we are. Right? We've said this before. Put your best friends in a car. You can head for the beach and that can go wrong and you end up at 7-Eleven. Everybody has a great time because you're best friends. How you are doing determine the trip. And so it is with us. We want to get somewhere as a church, great. But how we are doing will determine how it is to get there, and it will determine when we get there what our experience is like. Unity is the most important thing in us. It's the most important thing, really, in the Word. We need to be unified with Christ through the Spirit, through regeneration. We need to be unified with each other. That's what the whole Bible is trying to get us to do by the Spirit. Unity, 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 unity. So important. Wow, we are all in this together as core value number six. We've talked about it over and over again. If anybody has worked with me at all over the last few months, they'll know I fight every single day that we make decisions. I use the word a lot. If I was calling some of y'all, y'all would say it. The word is alignment. It's just alignment. We are one. We do things so that we stay on the same page. No, we can't do that. That sounds good, but that'll, that'll distract us. It won't keep us aligned. 
We're not going to brand any other ministry. We're not going to create new things. We are one. We are one. We have the same goals. We have the same love. We have the same desires. We are one church. We are unified. When we get together in our lighthouses, we talk about what we learned on Sunday. We need to apply. When we gather, when we do this, the people build the book. We are one. These things are all created. This is the greatest desire of my heart is that we would be one, that we would be unified, that we would be aligned together. And this is what the Lord wants for us, to be in alignment with one another. But we will not be unified without sacrifice. This is where living sacrifice comes in. Unity is not a byproduct of an easy choice. Unity doesn't just happen. It doesn't just come out. Unity doesn't happen through good leadership. Unity happens when the whole body agrees to offer their life as a living sacrifice. When we agree to do that, when someone offends us, when we agree to do that, when someone says, when we agree to all oh, my life, Lord, is a living sacrifice to you, I will not be petty. No. Nope. My life, Lord, is a living sacrifice to you. I will serve. I will not think about myself. I'm going to produce unity in this body. Our unity is up to each one of you. As much as I love to control that, I can preach it all day long. I hope that helps. But it's up to you. You decide how unified we are. You decide that in your conversations. You decide that in your service. You decide that in how you spend your time. You decide that in how you speak to one another. You decide that in your investment. It's being built by you. You guys are the builders of this church. And God has given you a brick. And the question is whether you're going to build with us. You need to be unified. So two quick things about unity. Number one is that we are unique. You see what it says here? We are unique. We are different members. We don't all have the same function. We don't all have the same function. This is very simple. An arm makes a really bad nose. Or really bad. A foot makes a really bad eye. Doesn't help. Doesn't help. An eye makes a really bad foot. A hand makes a bad ear. We don't have the same function. We are each unique. This is important. I want you to hear this. There is no power in trying to live out someone else's calling. Let's just stop with that. There's no power in that. As great as it may appear to be used, and maybe the Lord is using that person's calling, it's not yours. It's not your function. And you brought your teaspoon of vanilla, but you wanted two eggs. You try to grab the other two eggs and use it, and it doesn't work like that. The Lord has made you unique, and there's no power when you try to live out someone else's calling because you prefer the gift that they have received. There won't be any power in that. There's no power in fake callings. There's no power in that. There's power when you take your little thing and you offer it up to God. This is important, too. There's also no guilt in not being used at the same level as someone else appears to be. Stop feeling guilty about that. That your life doesn't seem to make as big of an impact even though you're being faithful. You never know what the Lord is doing. You don't know how the Lord is using your life in eternity. And often through our eyes, what we think is the most impactful person is one of the least. And the people who go unnoticed are the ones who have the mansions in heaven. This is so important. You are made unique, and there's no power in trying to not be yourself and live out someone else's calling. Be you. Do what God has made you to do. The second thing is we are attached. You see there it says we are members of one another. We need each other. We've already talked about this. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my good friends, uh, favorite pastors, Eric Sarners, will say community is a hand-me-down, not tailor-made. Meaning that we've been given something, and it's not something that we choose. And then we decide in the midst of that how we're going to act. 
to get along just because we have common preferences and common habits is just like the world. That requires no spirit. That requires nothing supernatural. It requires no Bible. A group of people can get along because they enjoy the same things. They come from the same culture. They have the same backgrounds and same practices. But for us, it's our common house, not common habits, that make us a family. It's our common house that we are in God's house, that we are a part of God's family. That is what brings us together. And that is what creates unity. Now here's something I, I want for each of us, okay? So some of you are like, yeah, I'm using my gift, right? And you're in there and the Lord's, you know, pouring into you and you're sharing the gospel and you're being generous and, you know, you just gave some extra money more than you thought you would and all these different things. And God's using you and you like doing that. But then the Lord calls you to be patient with somebody who annoys you. And you're like, man, I am a pipe. I am a pipe, but not for that guy. <laughs> I'm a pipe everywhere else, but not for him. No, 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 no. That guy's a jerk. I don't even think he's a Christian, you know? He's just big fake, big fake, big fake, you know? You're capping your gift. You're capping your pipe. And no, I can't get this on. Hey, there we go. And the point being that God has called you to use your gift, especially for those that you don't like. Especially for those that you judge. Especially for those that are your enemies. What is common throughout the Bible? No greater love can a man have this. He lay his life down for his friends. But then God says, man, blessed are those who bless their enemies. Bless their enemies. Not tolerate. Not get along with just a little bit. Not avoid. Bless. Bless. Blessed are those who take their gift and try to use it with all their might with people that they don't like in places that they're unfamiliar with, with situations that they feel uncomfortable with. That's what it means to be attached. To be attached means you're my arm and I need to give this so that my arm can flourish. You're not a bucket, you're a pipe. What God wants to do in you, he wants to do through you. The work of God will not be completed until it's released, and particularly to your enemies. Think about it this way. It's like God put a piece of ice cream, an ice cream cone in your hand, but the rest of the body can't experience the goodness of the ice cream until the hand decides to give it to the mouth. And then when the mouth takes it, the rest of the body has this experience of what it's like to eat ice cream. But God's given you an ice cream cone, but you don't like the person around you, so you hold it. And now not only is that person missing out, but the whole body is missing out on this experience of what God's given you. You're withholding it because you're choosing who gets to be blessed by you and who doesn't. Real unity is to bless and to live attached, especially to those that we don't prefer, don't get along with, aren't culturally like used to, whatever it might be. That's real unity. So in this body, with as much diversity, both in age and ethnicity and all the different things that are here, praise God for that. We are a group of people who pursue unity based on our unity in Jesus and who use our differences to glorify him more instead of comparing and getting frustrated with one another. We are attached. So when you get annoyed at somebody that's in this body, just think to yourself, I am attached to that person. To spite them is to spite myself. I'm attached. I can't get away. I'm attached. We are attached. Okay, finally, to close out, you start with humility, you continue in unity, and then you live out your unique individuality. Having gifts that differ, it says, according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Turn to your neighbor and say, use it. Use it. Use it. That's the name of this sermon, use your gift. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, 
They have service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You start with humility, you continue in unity, and then you live out your unique individuality. Part of the way that you and I are going to offer our lives as a living sacrifice is to actually not try to stand out, but to fit in. You guys hear what I'm saying on that? Not to fit in with the culture, but to fit into the whole here. And a lot of us, right, I'm just as guilty as anybody, want to come into a room and want to stand out. And what the Bible's saying is the way you lay your life down is you fit in. You become unnoticed. And then that, can you get this so backwards? Within that, that's where you find and can live out your real, unique individuality. When you try to live out your individuality by doing your own thing and going your own way, you're actually not doing it at all. You're just being selfish. But in the midst of a group of people, right? I've had people tell me this before. They say, I'm worried about getting married because I'm going to lose myself. And I say, well, if that's what you think about marrying this person, you probably shouldn't marry them. The point of getting married, right? One of the points is that that person makes you the best you you can be. Amen. Amen. All right. Somebody's very happily married over there. Okay, great. Praise the Lord. At least one person in the room. When you get married, right, you don't lose yourself. You become more of yourself when it's right and healthy. A healthy family doesn't make you unnoticed and useless. It gives you an atmosphere and environment in which to live out your gift. To bless real people in real time, in real situations, in a real house, with real annoyances and real grievances and real problems and real history. To live in that reality and bless people. As opposed to just thinking about it or just being some idea in the sky. So the church, when you become a part of it, doesn't take away your identity. It gives you a place to become you. It gives you a place to use your gift, to be the individual God made you to be, that you do not have when you are by yourself. So you are more you when you are a part of a whole than you are when you're by yourself. That's the point of the scriptures. You think by doing your own thing, you're living it out your way and becoming you. And the Bible says, no, it's the other way around. When you become part of a whole, a healthy whole, a godly whole, especially God's house, within that environment, with real people and real history in a real place, you have real opportunities to live out your unique gifts. And you can use your unique gifts to bless real people in real situations in real time. So you become more of you. That's why you start with humility, you continue in unity, and then within that, I can live out my unique individuality. And God has made you unique, and he has made you special. You are you, and there's nobody else like you. God will not make another you. There is not a prototype of that. There's just you. There will only be one you for all of forever. With your experiences, your skills, your life, your family, there's only one you. And God has made you very unique. And if you've trusted in Christ, he's given you his spirit, which means you have a gift from the Lord to be used for people around you. You have something unique that nobody else in this room has to offer. Do you hear me? Something unique. Now, it may be that we have a similar gift, right? I like to teach. I think that's what the Lord has asked me to do. And you like to teach. That doesn't mean now we're in competition. That means we both have opportunities to bless others with the word. Right? And you do it one way within a certain environment, and I do it another way within a certain environment, and then we all come together, and everybody gets blessed. In the same way, whatever your gifting may be. So that's when we stop competing with one another, and we start realizing God has given me a gift, 
And it may be the same gift as that other person, and it seems like that other person has more impact than me, but I'm not going to worry about that because what that other person does is actually none of my business. I'm just going to focus on what the Lord has given me. One of my favorite uh, stories in the scriptures is Peter. Uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's hanging out with the disciples, getting ready to peace out. And he's talking with Peter and doing the whole do you love me thing. And then Peter looks at, and he tells Peter basically, um, they're going to kill you one day. Okay, are you ready for that? That's the, that's the summary paraphrase version of that. Uh, if you follow me, they're going to they're kill you. So uh, he, and Peter, is, he hears that. He's like, hmm, that's interesting. And then he looks over at John, one of his friends, and he goes, what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? What does Jesus say? Don't worry about it. What does he say? He says, don't worry about him. You follow me. That makes life pretty simple. I ain't got to worry about that. I ain't got to worry about all that. I, you, I follow Jesus. And I want to bless my brothers, and I want to be concerned if they're in sin. You know, I want to be a part of that. I want to help them. But I'm not going to sit here and say, well, he's doing that. Then I can do that. No, 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 no. Well, if I had a shot, what about that guy? What about this? No, 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 no. Let's just stop. Just say, what about that? No. Jesus says, you follow me. He says, I think precisely, he says, what is that to you? That's the wording. What is that to you? What is John's life to you? What is the outcome of his life to you? You follow me. And so I want that to be true for you to say, you use your gift as God calls you to use it because you are following Jesus. And not have to worry about what other people are doing around you with their gifts and whether they get more credit or more glory or the outcome isn't the same. You're like, I laid my life down and I actually suffered. And this person's trying to do that and it seems like life is great. You know, you, I make a decision to follow the Lord and like everything goes to crap and life is terrible and I'm experiencing the suffering that comes with Jesus. And then my friend makes a decision to really follow Christ seriously and his life is just amazingly blessed and it seems like things really work out on the other side. And I say, what is that? Well, what does Jesus say to you? What is that to you? You follow me. So that's the attitude and spirit we need to have with each other. Okay. I want to um, just close with definitions of these gifts. And I'm going to do it very fast because this is important. We want to practically help you use your gifts and live that out. Okay. We're very passionate about that. About everybody coming to church and in all your life, wherever you are, ready to use your gifts. That's the only way we're really going to make an impact is if you recognize and use your gifts. So we don't want to be a church built on like two gifts or three gifts, or whatever. We want to build a church built on everybody's gifts. So we have basic training, which is our membership class, four sessions after service every week we meet. Uh, and on session two, it's called Your Design, and the whole point is to help you understand both the biblical definitions for these gifts and how does that relate to you. So if you haven't been to basic training at all, I ask you to join us. It'll be 12 o'clock today, room 120. Uh, what week are we on? This is uh, this two. Yeah, great. Okay, fantastic. So this is the second week. You can learn about your design, learn about how you're gifted. We, we define all of that and talk about it in more depth there. But just in case you've missed that, I'm going to give these definitions to you real quick. Just be asking the Lord, hey, maybe that's me as you listen to it. Okay, prophecy. Uh, we've gotten all these definitions from really helpful, solid theologians uh, that, that, that seem right, and uh, we're, we're going with those. Obviously, people disagree at some level with these, so yada, yada, yada. Okay, these are the ones uh, based off really faithful people that, that are good. All right, prophecy. A spontaneous prompting of the Holy Spirit subjected to the authority of Scripture. That's super important. Under. Under the authority of Scripture. Who speaks for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation of the church? It's from Wayne Gruden. So maybe the Lord has that in your life. Or maybe you should pray. The 1 Corinthians 14.5 says God gives the gift of prophecy to build up the church. And maybe we're not as built up as we need to be because people aren't using that gift with one another. Or maybe the Lord has spoken something to you under the authority of the word that is in line with the word of God that you're supposed to speak to someone else and you've withheld that and they're not built up. 
So maybe that's you. Prophecy helps in serving. The capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of others through very practical service. A lot of you are living this out in amazing ways. Uh, you just serve. You unselfishly meet the needs of others. Maybe that's you. Teaching. The ability to explain scripture and apply it to people's lives. That leads to the equipping of the church. Exhortation, also called the gift of encouragement. The gift is the capacity to urge, encourage, and comfort people towards the application of biblical truth. Barnabas the encourager in the scriptures is a good example of this. Uh, he was constantly affirming the gifting of other people, constantly the God that lifted other people up. There was always this uh, girl uh, at my previous ministry who would come up after sermons, maybe once every three months or so, and just tell me how great of a preacher I was and how much she enjoyed and was growing every time. It was like consistent on the clock, like every so often. And that, that was her gift, a gift of encouragement that really built me up and that helped me, helped me press forward and keep doing what the Lord asked me to do. So the same is with you guys. Maybe some of you have been given this, but you're not using it to actually encourage other people. You never know what a little word might do to someone's life. This is very important. And honestly, this is something I really I try to grow in myself. This is something that's very important. You never know what a little word from you might do to someone else's life. Giving. The capacity to give freely, cheerfully, more regularly to God's work. That comes from a deep sensitivity and conviction to the needs at hand. It's a giving that's sacrificial. A giving that comes out of the abundance of what God's doing in your own heart and soul, not just in your bank account. It's a giving that's sacrificial. The capacity to give freely. Some of you, God has wired you to make money. You're very good at that. And that's not a bad thing. It just depends on how you use it. You have the capacity. Some of you have the gift of giving. And you're like, I don't make a lot of money. Well, then use what you got. God takes five loaves and two fishes. Remember, he multiplies. So use your gift. Use it. Leadership. The gift of leadership is the divine element to cast vision, motivate, and direct people to harmoniously accomplish the purposes of God. Divine element. Cast vision, motivate, and direct people. Some of you have been given the gift of leadership. Mercy, the special ability to have genuine compassion for those who are suffering, which results in cheerful deeds done to alleviate suffering and reflect Jesus' love. Some of you, by God's grace, just really care. I mean that in a way. Uh, this is not my gifting. Okay? This is something I need to grow in. I have to pursue. I have to ask the Lord to help me. Some of you are just like, oh, you know, you just care about everything, about people. And praise God for you. This is my wife. She just really cares about people. Like, I'm just like, how do you care that much? It's amazing. I want to care as much as you do about other people. You really care about them. Like, genuinely, from the bottom of your heart, this is good. Some of you are very merciful. And you have the feeling in your heart, but you haven't exercised it in faith. And God wants to use you to build up this church. So there's seven here. Uh, we find 21 throughout the scriptures. We want you guys to learn them all, to learn how you might be able to apply them in your life. Maybe as I read that out, it resonated with you. The first thing you should do is ask others around you what they think and what they see this lived out in your life. And then we would love to help you find, recognize, and use your gift. So, to summary, one of the primary ways to offer your life as a living sacrifice is to use your gift. You're not a bucket, you're a pipe. You're not a bucket, you're a pipe. What God wants to do in you, he wants to do through you. So start with humility, continue in unity, and then live out your unique individuality. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that by your grace you have given us gifts and usefulness and purpose. Thus only you. And so I just pray. I pray, Lord, one of the things that's been on my heart is that we won't despise our assignment. God, that we would use it. We would trust you to multiply it. God, I pray that we would have unity, that we wouldn't compare, that we wouldn't fight, that we wouldn't argue about this or that, God, that we would be unified together. I pray that you would make us a humble people, 
following our Savior, who is meek and mild, even though He's the Savior of the world. I just pray that you would take these truths and apply them in our hearts, our lives, and that we would recognize and learn our gifts, and that we would use them to build up the church, and that this would be a church built by everybody participating and not spectating. We ask that you would create that reality, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.